Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6 as we continue our series crossing into Canaan. And last week we saw how Joshua desperately needed help from God and how best to attack Jericho. It was God's will. It was God who led them there. But there was no way Israel could take Jericho on their own. And as Joshua is surveying the situation, lo and behold, the captain of the Lord's host shows up. He gives Joshua the way ahead, but it was a most unusual battle plan. It really would make, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense in, in our minds. And if I were to give that to General Schwarzkopf, he would have laughed. And, and God gives this battle plan to go against this fortified city. It was a double-walled city. And, and God tells them, you're going to have to walk around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to have to walk around it seven times. And on the seventh day, the priests would blow their horns, the people would shout, and uh, God said the walls would fall down flat. Would you agree that that's quite an odd strategy? But it required uh, Israel to obey in faith. In, in one sense, they had nothing to lose. They couldn't take the city anyway without God's help. So in one sense, what does it hurt to go ahead and give it a shot? Um, but obviously, on the other hand, it doesn't really pass the common sense uh, test in our minds. But faith is trusting God's plan whether or not it makes sense to our minds. Remember that Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Because they were obedient to God's plan and because they marched around the city by faith, they watched God bring about a great victory that day. And the walls did fall down and it actually made for access to get into the city. It actually made a ramp. And so if you're facing a battle today, I would just encourage you to trust God's plan. Trust His way. Trust His word. When it seems there's no way for victory, God knows the way ahead. Let's begin tonight in Joshua chapter 6 by reading verses 6 through 16. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests and blew with the trumpets, and the re-reward came after the ark, and the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the re-reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priest going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp, so they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city. 
after the same manner seven times, only on that day they can pass the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest, uh, when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Now, here we find Joshua executing this unusual battle plan, just as he was instructed. And in verse 16, they have completed their seventh pass around the city. Joshua is giving the command for the people to shout, because God hath given them the city. And this unusual battle plan that God used was to show them that everything that was going to take place was because of the hand of God. It it was going to be of God. Uh, God is the one who gave the land. He would be the giver of the land. God was the one who would defeat the inhabitants of the land. But before the people shouted, before the battle ensued, notice what Joshua commands them. Verse 17 through 19. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So Joshua gives some commands here before they actually shout. You'll see that as we read through this. And he commands that Rahab be saved alive and all that were in her house because she, by faith, had hid the spies. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And, and it's not really recorded here explicitly, but it seems from a passage that we'll see in chapter 7 that God apparently has told Joshua to command the people that all the treasures found within Jericho were to go into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And I believe what we're seeing here is God's principle of the first fruits. First fruits are different from a tithe. First fruits are the first of any harvest. And it would be the best of the harvest. The first fruits are always the best. And by giving the first fruits, what Israel would be indicating to God is we trust you for the uh, other harvest to come in, that there will be other fruit and our needs will be met. And uh, so they were to give the first fruits as part of honoring God. And uh, most today will group first fruits and tithe together because we're not an agricultural-based society But I don't see a problem with maintaining a distinction if you want to. Um, Nor do I think it's wrong to consider them all uh, in one. uh, Because in today's day and age, we typically receive paychecks. I'm not sure how many of you make your living off of the land today. But uh, most of us are not out there, you know, using fruit and all this. We get some sort of monetary uh, paycheck. And I do believe in the tithe. It, it means you give 10% of the gross of your income, that that goes to God. One might could say that first fruits today would be something like the, the, the first of a new pay raise. Perhaps you get a bonus. Uh, some monetary blessing comes your way. That might be considered a first fruit. Something outside of the normal 
giving of the tithe. For them, the tithe was after they gave of the first fruits, all the fruit that came in after that, 10% of that was to, to be tithed, or that, that's what tithe means. It means 10%. And, and so um, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Some might put it this way, giving a tithe is obedience, giving your first fruits is a celebration. Um, whichever way you want to interpret all of that is not really the issue tonight. Aren't you glad we're not talking about money? Yeah, amen, preacher. Um, Jericho was the first city they came to in the land. It was a great city. It may have been the greatest city in the land. I don't really know. Didn't have time to study all that. But it was the first fruit of their conquest. It was the best that they could offer to God going into the land here initially. And Joshua gives the command that this city is to be dedicated to the Lord. It's to be God's. According to Deuteronomy verse, or chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, I won't read those, but all the inhabitants of the land were to be utterly destroyed. They were to show no mercy to any of them. They were not to marry any of them. They were not to serve their gods. Or God said, if you do that, I'll likewise destroy you. And the only one that was spared is Rahab and her house. Well, let me rephrase that. That's how it was supposed to be. But they ended up compromising. We might see that down the road if we stay with this series long enough. But they were to destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, burn their graven images... Because God said, I want you to be a holy and a special people, separated unto me. And so all of that was already commanded by God. So I'm just simply saying all that to say, all of that was not part of the first fruits. But there was a lot of good stuff in Jericho that they would want to take for their own. The gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron, and all those things that had monetary value to them, uh, that was to be consecrated unto God and be given into the treasury of the house of the Lord. When I read this, I kind of feel like us going to take a city, amen? And then we can get enough money to go build a new facility. Anyway, all of that expensive stuff, all of that stuff of value, God says, don't keep it for yourself, but you're going to give it back to me. You're going to put it in the treasury of the house of the Lord because God knew that there was going to be plenty of other cities that they would be able to take the spoil from, and they were going to be able to take those goods and, and profit off of those down the road. But this city, this one, this was special. It was a first fruit to God, and God says, it's all mine. And so Joshua uh, tells them, don't take any of this stuff, but give it to the Lord. And so they burned Jericho to the ground. I mean, they went in, they, they killed everybody, they... They killed the animals, and I mean, they took care of business. Everything that lived was considered accursed. Everything that was of value was considered accursed. They were not to take any of that. And if they kept anything, they would become accursed. They would make themselves accursed before God. And so Joshua makes it clear, don't touch it. It's not for you, it's for God. It's accursed. This Hebrew word for accursed 
is probably a little bit different meaning than what we may typically use the word accursed. Uh, I know sometimes when we think of a curse, we think of a hex or maybe like a jinx or something like that. But um, this word here, when, when Joshua says you're accursed, he, he's not saying that uh, you're not going to be able to pick the lucky lottery numbers, okay? That's, <laughs> boy, I'm so cursed, I, can't, I can never get the right lottery numbers. Um, anyway, that's another message right there. But what it means is it means something that is devoted for destruction. Joshua says this city, it's devoted for destruction. If you take anything from Jericho, then you yourself will also become accursed. You will now be devoted to destruction. And and, and if you do this, you're placing our entire nation into the category of being deserving of being destroyed. It's very serious. Are you getting how serious this is that Joshua was saying? Look at verses 20 through 27. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straightly before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, uh, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the heart of the live and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day. Because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his, first, in his firstborn, and in his youngest son uh, shall he set up the gates of it. And by the way, that came true. You can read that over in Second Kings, I think. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. What a great victory, amen? I mean, God gives this unusual set of orders. They follow it by faith. A great victory is wrought. They're obeying God. The walls fall down. Uh, they, they are able to, to go into this city that was otherwise uh, impregnable. And, and they take the city. They destroy every living thing by the edge of the sword. The two men that spied out Jericho, they, they find Rahab. They go back to where uh, she lives. And, and archaeologists have said there's one portion of the wall that they found that didn't fall down. And she lived in the wall, and uh, no doubt that's what God spared for her to be alive. And, and so, anyway, that was on the north side. But they, they go in, they, they take Rahab out, they burn the city with fire, they give the treasures into the, the treasury of the house of the Lord, and as a result of this great victory, the whole country is filled with fear over the children of Israel. And you can imagine they would be. Everything seems to be going so well, Right? Victories being had, uh, uh, man, they're celebrating this first crucial victory when according to God's plan, and they've defeated the mighty city of Jericho. Yeah! But then there's chapter 7. Let's read it. 
But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto, them, unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto uh, Shebaram, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water, and Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. The elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth, and what wilt thou do to, unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it in even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before this, before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what hast thou done. Tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold and uh, of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah 
and the silver and the garments and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters, his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. There's a lot of messages here. We'll probably come back to some of them. But I want to focus on the accursed thing. What's interesting and what's very humbling as a church body is that one man's transgression brought the nation to a standstill. This one man's disobedience led to 36 men losing their lives. In what should have been an easy victory against such a small city like Ai, because of one man's trespass, Israel lost their battle after Jericho. Because of one man's sin, the hearts of the people of Israel melted and became as water. And it included Joshua's. Joshua rents his clothes. He, he falls on his face before the ark of the Lord until dusk. He and the elders, they put dust upon their heads. And, and Joshua sounds like that first generation that came out of Egypt that he was standing against one day back there 40 years earlier. And he says, Alas, O God, wherefore hast thou brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content to stay on the other side. And Joshua is afraid. He's afraid the, the, the inhabitants of the land are going to hear what has happened and, and they're going to come and attack because obviously Israel doesn't have this great strength that maybe we thought they did. Just take a moment for this to sink in. There was a great victory. A great city was defeated. A great increase was given into the treasury of the house of the Lord. There was great fear upon all the inhabitants of the land because of this mighty victory. But one man's disobedience in taking what belonged to God, keeping it for himself, brought this nation to a standstill. It melted the hearts of the people. Do you see how quickly a church can lose their momentum? Things are going well. We're marching forward for Christ. We're excited for what God has done among us. Aren't you? I am. And all it takes is for one person to rob God of what has been dedicated to Him to bring this church to a stop and cause us to wonder what in the world's going on. And, and we might look at what Achan did and say, man, that's all he did? He took a Babylonian garment. He took 200 shekels of silver. Took a wedge of gold, 50 shekels. He hid them under his tent. But that's all it took. To bring a nation down. Now I'll just be honest with you as I was studying and pondering for this today. I don't know when God causes, when He chooses to cause our sinfulness to be known. I don't know when He decides that it's become accursed. When it's devoted for destruction. 
and I don't know when he doesn't. What line is crossed that causes God to put the brakes on our church? Because I am well aware that there are many in here partaking of secret sins today. On a phone, on a tablet, on a computer screen. It's secret, but God is still blessing. And I don't know when God decides, that's it. I'm bringing it out. Is everybody with me? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Let me give you an example. I know of a church where the pastors stole $750,000 over a 20-year period. That's an average of $37,500 per year, or about $721.15 per week. But here's the thing. That church was vibrant. The preaching was dynamic. It was powerful. They were growing. Everything looked well. But then there came a day when God said, okay, that's enough. I'm bringing it out. And it put the hurt on that church. Everything was going fine. We had visited there, and, and man, I, I remember telling the person we were with, I said, man, you get this kind of preaching every week? And he said, yeah. And then you heard what happened. And people started leaving, of course, and caused all kind of problems. They were able to resolve some things internally without going to the courts, as the Bible tells us to do as brethren. He's in the process of paying some things back. But I'll tell you, it hurt the church. Now, I want you to get this. As you think about this account, the battle against Jericho still went well, despite the fact that somebody was sinning. The moment that Achan saw, coveted, and hid, it didn't change the battle. God didn't all of a sudden say, well, somebody's stealing, now I'm going to wipe out Israel. They still had a great victory. They still were able to celebrate a great victory, even though there were things sinfully happening in secret. And, and what I'm trying to say to you is this. You may be partaking of something tonight that you know is wrong. And you know you need to give it to God to be devoted for destruction. It's accursed. You've got it buried in your tent. You're hanging on to it. Nobody knows about it. And while it's buried in your tent, here we are celebrating victories. I mean, we're celebrating what God has been doing for us. We just celebrated 40 years. But it may only be a matter of time until God makes the transgression known. And unfortunately, it may require our church being stopped in our tracks. Like what happened with Israel and Ai. So here's Joshua on his face before God. He's depressed about their defeat. He's ready to give up. And he doesn't even know what the problem is yet. 
He doesn't know that there's sin in the camp. And, and my heart goes out to the pastors who throw it in and they never even really know what's going on. And God responds to Joshua in a way that we may not expect. God says to Joshua, get up. Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? We would think that being on your face before God is the right place to be, but it's not when there's sin in the camp. God goes on to say, Israel has sinned in taking of the accursed thing. They stole it. They lied about it. They put it in with their stuff. And he's accusing the entire nation of this one man's sin. He says, that's why you couldn't stand before your enemies. That's why you had to retreat because you're accursed. And you're not going to be victorious until you get the accursed thing out from your camp. And then the sobering words at the end of verse 12, Neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. You see, we cease to be ineffective when we lose the presence of God. And I never want to open the doors of this church without God's presence. But God's good. He gives the remedy, and that is to deal with the sin which is in the camp. The accursed thing has to be removed. And sadly, it can get to the, the point where the accursed thing includes people. Achan was the one who took of the accursed thing, but because those items had been dedicated to God, they had been devoted for destruction. When Achan took of that, he transferred that accursed thing to him, and he became accursed. And now he became devoted for destruction. His whole family was killed. They were stoned with stones, burned with fire, and a great heap of stones was piled on top of them. And doesn't it break your heart that sin affects the whole family? I mean, I don't know about you, but it sure is heartbreaking that Achan's kids had to be stoned. It's sad to me when a father commits an embarrassing sin which becomes known to the entire congregation and now he is so ashamed that he has to leave a good church and his family has to go with him and also leave a good church. Not that anybody said you had to go necessarily, but I'm so ashamed of this and it always affects the family. Sin will affect more than just one who is committing the trespass. Joshua 22.20 says, Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Others died with him. And it breaks my heart when innocent wives and children have to endure the consequence of the father taking of the accursed thing. I don't know what's buried in your tent tonight, but I sure don't want our church to be brought to a standstill. And I sense the Lord saying, just shut up. There's a lot more we could say. Is there something that you're keeping back tonight that belongs to God? Is there some accursed thing that you keep hid from others, but you know it's there, you know it has the potential to affect the entire camp. 
would you just confess that tonight and get it right with God? Is there anybody here tonight, you're endangering our mission? Are we about to come to a standstill because of some accursed thing that's in your camp? I don't want anybody to let the good things that are happening around here to fool you into thinking that God's okay with all of our secret sin. It will affect us later if we don't deal with it. We can judge ourselves or we can be judged. We can confess it or God will make it known. Are you making it impossible tonight or about to for us to stand before our enemies? This is a sobering thought. We need to be serious about holiness. We need to clean up the camp before God cleans it up for us. We need to get rid of the accursed thing so that we can keep marching in to battle victorious. Let's pray.